0: Well, when, when we hear the words of verse 21, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we may be tempted to dismiss that actually as the bravado of someone who's trying to, to uh, you know ramp up people's enthusiasm. We, we may be tempted to think of it along the same line as Patrick Henry's famous, famous you know, give me liberty or give me death we sort of understand that when people are trying to pump people up, they're prone to rhetorical excess. And so we can sometimes dismiss Paul's attitude or words like that. Oh, he's just trying to encourage us to pump us up. When we talk about death, sometimes there's ambivalence and fear. Sometimes there's a lot of bravado, though. We try to make ourselves talk ourselves out of being afraid. Um, I was in Afghanistan when the movie 300 came out, and I remember when these soldiers would come that before they deployed them out to their forward positions and operating posts, the, the powers that be know what they were doing, they would show them the movie 300. You know, and if you've ever seen it, you know, it's a testosterone dripping man movie. And the Greeks are, the Spartans, I should say, are, are presented as, as almost worshiping the notion of dying. And I remember that whenever they would say something that pointed to them longing to die in battle, all these young infantry soldiers would just, oh, 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 you know, the whole place was just in an uproar with them just, hmm. They were being pumped up. Fast forward a few weeks, and I would go out and visit them at their forward operating base, and after getting shelled a few times, and after getting fired on a few times, the bravado was gone. Bravado does not comfort you when the going gets tough. Have you ever talked, have you ever seen someone who talked the talk and walked the walk in regards to their attitude and, and their sincerity. And so when they say something, you know you are getting a glimpse into their soul. It's inspiring. And here in these words, Paul is not simply giving us bravado. We've seen that he is sharing with us his passion. His passion is to make Christ look great whether he lives or whether he dies last week we looked at what it means to say for us to live as christ today we're going to see what does it look like to honor christ by our death what does it look like to honor christ by our death we are all aware that you can live in such a way that you bring glory to jesus but did you know that you can die in such a way that you bring glory to Jesus? In 1936, John and Betty Stamm were martyred in China. You can read their story. It's famous. In 1956, Jim Elliott, eight Saint, and his other peers were martyred in Ecuador. And their Deaths. They're dying for Christ-inspired generations of missionaries. Recently, we saw Coptic Christians martyred by ISIS. And I don't know about you, but when I see someone or hear of someone who lays down their life for Jesus... Yes, I'm, 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 there's a part of me on the human side that's angered at the injustice of it. But there's a part of me that swells with pride that people testified to the sovereign goodness of Jesus and were willing to pay it with their blood. As Tertullian said in the early 200s, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When we die well, we make Jesus look supremely satisfying. Now the good news is, we don't have to go be martyrs to die in such a way that Jesus looks satisfying. There is a way that we can live our lives with our attitude towards and then our experience of death in such a way that Jesus looks great. Paul wanted to make sure that no matter how he lived or how he died, that in the end, Jesus was made to look great. And I want that for you. So many people try to avoid the reality that they will, in fact, die. I remember working the oncology ward. And so many people were on terminal sentences, basically. And so many people were just just in utter denial. It was very hard to go into a room knowing that the doctors believed they would be dead in a couple weeks. And these people were just in utter denial. Utter denial. And yet, the Bible calls us to a continual eschatological perspective. In 2 Corinthians 5, we see Paul's clear understanding that we will all stand before Christ. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it has been appointed for us to die. And so, following the Puritans, in a very real sense... My job is to help you prepare to die. You will stand before Jesus, and I want you to be ready. And so today, we're going to look at what it means to die for the glory of Jesus. All right. In verse 20, if you look with me, you see that it says that His passion is that Christ would be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death. Okay, what does it mean for him to say, in my body? Well, it means the Paul that people can see and hear. He's not talking about his inner thought life that no one can witness. So in other words, he's saying that by the way I behave, the way I talk, the countenance on my face... I want to honor Christ. So we're talking about real tangibility here. Not just some pie-in-the-sky notion that has no bearing on our life. And then he says, I want Christ to be honored. What does it mean to honor something? That is a synonym for glorified, magnified. Jesus wants us to make Him look Magnificent by the way we look, act, talk, no matter what we face. It's hard as embodied beings, as temporal beings, to face death for the glory of Jesus. How do we do that? How do you die in such a way or have an attitude towards your death that brings glory to Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is our first point and is located in verse 21. Look with me at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All right. So Paul doesn't want to be ashamed when he gives his, his driving passion in life. In verse 20, he states it first negatively. I don't want to be ashamed, but that now with full confidence, I will with full courage, I will glorify, I will honor Christ in my body Okay, so he doesn't want to be ashamed, meaning he doesn't want to act in a way that makes Jesus not look good. And so he says, I want to honor Jesus then in my life and in my death. I want to honor Jesus in my death. Well, how do you, Paul, approach your death in such a way that you honor Jesus? Does it simply mean that you have a stoic, stiff upper lip? No. No. Lots of people die with a stiff upper lip. How do you do it, Paul? The answer is here. If you approach your death with the attitude that it is gain, then you are positioned to honor Christ with your death. Paul says, I want to honor Christ in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, I can honor Christ with my death, because for me to die is gain. We routinely hear of soldiers who die for our country, and there's this somber nobility to it. Because we understand that for our freedom, they paid the ultimate price. They gave up everything. When someone dies before it's their time, when they're young or whatever, we mourn and lament the life that could have been. It is deeply ingrained in our psyche that death equals loss. Think about it. We're often taught that the highest good You can pursue is to stay alive. You can see the change in our culture if you just survey the arts, whether it's literature or film, it used to be that the heroic characters were the ones who sacrificed and gave up for the good of others. Now the heroes are portrayed as the people who have the courage and the strength to do whatever barbaric act it takes to win or survive. We are deeply, deeply committed to the notion that I need to stay alive because if I die, I lose everything. We cannot imagine in our culture dying actually produces gain. Now, let me be clear. If you're a Christian, regardless of how you live or act, if you're a Christian, when you die, you objectively gain. Okay? But if you experience your death as gain, then you make Jesus look supremely satisfying because so many experience their death not as gain, but as loss. In my ministry, I've seen a number of people die under various circumstances. And what strikes me is young or old, battlefield or hospital room, the best the best that I've ever seen a non-believer come to is stoic resolve. The best that I've seen a non-believer demonstrate is the resolve to die not crying, not complaining. Just a grim, stoic acceptance of the brute fact. That's the best I've ever seen. And of course it would be the best that they can do. Because for them, when they die, they have just lost everything they've ever invested their lives in. Now, they may deem that there are some causes that are worth enduring that loss, but it is still loss. It's against that backdrop of people viewing their death as the end of it, when it is so starkly remarkable, then when a Christian is able to look at their death in a whole different light and say, when I die, I gain. I remember just the bleakness of the oncology ward at Walter Reed. And one day, I walked into this room, and there's this old African American lady. She's in her early 90s. And she's frail, and I walk through the door, and she's like having a, like a one-person worship service. She's sitting there, Jesus, you know, clapping her hands. And she says, chaplain, the doctors told me that I'm going to die within a week. I get to see Jesus in less than a week. Oh, Lordy, I'm ready now. (laughs) And she went on to talk about how Jesus had been there through all her tough years in the segregation era, through all the turmoil in in the civil rights era, just all the heartache of family and da, da, da. And Jesus had been there faithfully through it all, and she couldn't wait to thank him in person. I walked out of that room and I was inspired. Have you ever seen someone die well? It is glorious. And that makes Jesus look satisfying. So, if dying is gain, then simply staying alive. Is no longer your absolute bottom line top priority, and that frees you to love, to serve, to risk, to praise. Oh, there is a world that so desperately needs that. People are choking on despair. They are choking on the animosity they feel towards God, towards the created order. On the one level, when I see all this argument about trans this, trans that, I you know, it's angering. But on the other hand, I just feel such a deep well of pity that these people are so torn that their very identity is up for grabs. People need Jesus. And they will react defensively when you try to bring him to them. But when we live our lives with the abandon that comes from knowing the worst you can do to me is give me gain, we are free to take those risks. And oh, what a change it will bring in our own countenance. So, Jesus, Jesus, is ours in faith. And when we die, we get gain. That's glorious. So you want to know how to honor Christ in death? You must approach your death as gain. If you see it as loss, then you will fight death. You will kick against it. You will will beg like Shakespeare's, my kingdom for an hour. Okay? You will risk it all just to stay alive. And people will think whatever they were serving, it must not have satisfied. So, if you view dying as gain, you are prepared then to honor Christ with your death. But how is dying gain? How is it? the answer to that is if you look down in verse 23 we are prepared to experience dying as gain when Christ is our treasure okay look down at verse 23 i am hard pressed between the two between the two what between the two choices the two options before him living or dying okay my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better okay in verse 22, he had talked about if he lives, he gets to keep doing ministry. But if he dies, he gets to depart and be with Christ, and that is far better. Okay, so if he dies, he gets to be with Christ, and that is far better. Now, last week, I opened up by talking about the fact that people will do remarkable things to stay alive, but that people oftentimes have a problem Answering the question, what are we living for? So I ask you, what are you living for? Think about anything that you could live for money, fame, recognition, promotions at work, family, church, your nation. Philosophical ideals, whatever it is. When you die, it goes away. There is only one thing you can live for that dying actually gets you closer to it. Our passage here is very Parallels very similar to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8, where Paul talks about dying as going home. And we get to be with the Lord at home. So in this passage, I get to go be with Jesus, and that is far better. His whole life has been pursuing the glorification of Jesus If I go to heaven, I get closer to Jesus. And that is far better. Far better than what? He's not meaning far better than sitting in jail because the alternative is to be free. Experiencing Jesus in heaven is far better than any experience of Christ and His presence and His peace and His comfort and His goodness and His mercy and His faithfulness that we can ever experience on this earth. When we enter His presence, we get unadulterated glory of Jesus right before us. And we get all the Jesus we can handle. I don't know about you. But when I live, I want Jesus to be magnified because he alone can satisfy. And when I die, I look forward to the fact that the Jesus who has satisfied me, albeit imperfectly because my sinful nature resists, will be able to give me every joy, every happiness that I could never have experienced in this world alone. And that is far, far better. So if Christ is your treasure, then when you approach dying, you see, hey, this is simply me entering into his presence. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul refers to the dying process as actually passing into life. Talk about flipping the natural order on its head. Dying is passing into life because, as he says in verse 21, to live is Christ. So you're passing into life when you're passing into the very presence of the one who is the author of life. You will never be more alive than when you are in the presence of Jesus. That is gain. And so if that is gain, then when you consider and you approach, and you experience dying, you can say, I will honor him. Because I'm about to get gain. I'm about to get Christ. And that is far better than anything I can have here. Remember the famous quote by Jim Elliot. I've said it before. It is worth writing down. It is worth remembering. He is no fool say it with me who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose so many christians do not experience the joy of the lord in their living and in their dying and i sus- suspect it is because that christ really isn't their treasure what is your treasure Here's a litmus test. What would you have to lose for you to reject God? Is there anything you could lose that would cause you to question God's love of you? I want to encourage us to flip in our Bibles to Lamentations 3. It's a profound book. It's a heavy, weighty book. But Lamentations 3 shows what it looks like when someone's portion, someone's inheritance, someone's treasure is God himself. Lamentations 3, uh, specifically, uh, we're going to look at verses 10 to 24. I'm going to read it real fast because I want you to see he's really depressed. But look what he says. He, the Lord, is a bear lying in wait for me a lion in hiding he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces he has made me desolate he bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow he drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope in the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me then here it changes. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. Oh, in this life, if your treasure is stuff, if you're investing in the accoutrements of this world, then Christ will not seem precious to you. We need to keep our affections on the one who will satisfy us, not just for a few years, but the one who will satisfy us now and forever. We are called sojourners on this world. Abraham is held up to us as someone who when he was in the promised land, he was looking for a heavenly city and so he never set down roots. The only piece of turf that he ever bought was so he could bury his wife. Remember that? And he's held up for us. He was looking for the heavenly city. He didn't let himself get tied down with the things of earth. When we moved into our home, we had a bush that was too close to the park uh, driveway, And so we, with the help of the Gordons, transplanted it, And Tommy said that it was a pretty traumatic thing for the plant, and, and it may not, you know, take and well, it hasn't. So if your roots are spread out. And if you're basically satisfied with now, you're going to resist being uprooted and planted somewhere else. Don't let your roots go too deep in this fading, wicked world. I'm not talking about becoming an isolationist. Don't hear me that say that. But so often our affections are so tied to this life that really... We're quite happy here, thank you very much. The concerns and cares of this world have a spiritually deadening effect. Jesus tells us as much in Matthew thirteen eighteen when he's explaining the parable of the sower and the seed. Temporal concerns and priorities will squeeze out sensitivity to spiritual truth. I would encourage you in the in in the face of the reality of eternity, reflect upon the temporary shortness of this life in in contrast to the expanse of eternity. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes repeatedly calls us to do. Have you ever read it? Repeatedly it calls us to consider eternity. If we view dying as gain... It affects how we live. Because we live our lives for the glory of Jesus in light of that eternity. So many times, maybe I'm the only one who's so morbid as to think this, but I'll be doing something. Especially if I'm just doing something, if I'm just wasting my time. And I will think, I'm going to die someday. And I am right now squandering 90 minutes of my life. <laughs> I will actually think that. I want my life to magnify Jesus so that when I come to die, I will be so excited to see him that I make my passing worth its weight in gold because people look at it and say, wow, Jesus was something consequential to him. My prayer is that that would be the same for you. So I strongly encourage you, reflect upon your life. The temporariness of this existence compared to the weight of eternity What are you investing yourself in? The stuff that's passing or the stuff that's preparing you for forever? Do you have problems with Jesus being your treasure? It could very well be that you don't have a high enough view of grace. I routinely find that when I think little of Jesus, it's because I'm thinking too much of me. Reflect on Scripture. Eric just brought up the first canon of Dort, our total depravity. Man, that is a huge one. We make little of grace because so often we're inclined to think that we're basically nice people and you know, we just needed a little push in the right direction and hey. And read and meditate. Reflect on the human propensity to just destroy. It's in us. Everything. We can't even have civil conversation without trying to say words that kill. Oh, we are depraved. And if God were to give us what we deserve, we would all be goners. Reflect upon the greatness of God, before whose infinite, glorious being we are eclipsed. God is great. And in his tender mercy, he showers us with love. Reflect upon these things. Jesus Christ is the only thing that you can take from this life into the next. Make him your treasure. Then you will see dying as gain. And if dying is gain, you are on the footing to honor Christ with your death. Paul wanted to honor Christ by his life and his death, because the magnification of the name of Jesus was his everything. It ordered his other priorities. It ordered his passions. My prayer for you and for me is that we would desire Christ to be magnified in our body, whether by life or by death, and that with Paul we would say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray.